Yeah, family-style service means distraction. That's a good thing. We want families to sit together. It's okay. I've preached to teenagers for years, so I'm used to distractions. I can preach through anything. I, I've, I have all kinds of stories I can tell you of camps and things that have happened during camps. And I won't tell you from the pulpit here, but I can tell you stories of things. So just keep preaching. And so I'll keep preaching uh, no matter what. If your kids are a little bit noisy, that's okay. If they get really noisy and you feel like you need to slip out, then do that. But this is a family-style service. We love the kids here. In fact, what we usually do is give a, a little... Uh, a little flyer there, a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A handout, I guess it'd be a handout, a handout. And if you want to take notes on there, that'd be great. Usually uh, we ask our kids to do that as well, adults to do that as well. But today, today only, because we're celebrating. Whether you take notes or not today, kids, you can see Miss Jackie afterwards. We have a free Frosty coupon for you. So for all the kids of the church, see Miss Jackie, see my wife afterwards. You can get a coupon for a Frosty here in town. Uh, they've given us a bunch of coupons, so do that today. And uh, we'll just enjoy our time together in the Word of God in first. Peter chapter number two. We'll start there in just a minute. Thank you so much for all the kindness, everything, but we're going to get into business now and try to get a a message to you quickly, thoroughly, but most importantly, biblically. And so we want to give you something from the Word of God to challenge you and encourage you today. And so we're in chapter two of first Peter. First Peter is a book written uh, by, to believers who were scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. So Peter is writing to these folks who have been displaced. They're written, they're kind of scattered abroad. It's written to them, but written for us. And as we look at it, the truth still applies to us today. And what we have in common here with them is that sometimes we feel like we're out of place. If you're a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing Christian, you're going to be out of step with the regular culture. It's just the way it is. The Bible is not politically correct. The Bible is not in tune with society. Jesus Christ came to disrupt, not to follow along. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be a bit of a disruptor. It's going to be, you're going to live by a different set of rules, a different set of standards. We talked about that last time we met together. And so we can feel the same way they did, that we're trying to live right in a world that's gone wrong. And so Peter's writing to them to encourage them, to challenge them, to continue to live right in their new surroundings. And so we studied for a couple weeks a couple characteristics that Peter showed them. First of all, we talked about showing endurance during trials. Last time we met was a couple weeks ago. Staying sober in a world gone wrong, having that sober mindset. We use that verse, which is not maybe a very popular verse, not a verse you'll see on t-shirts. Gird up the loins of your mind, is what the Bible says. And so we have the, the idea is to roll up the sleeves of your mind. Get ready for work. Get ready uh, for war. Have that mentality that we're going into battle and we're here to win the victory. And so we talked about having a sober mindset as we go into uh, living right in a world gone wrong. Well, today we're going to look at uh, another uh, characteristics, a quality that Peter shares with us uh, Peter's going to try to encourage them with their identity. Their identity. Understanding your identity in a world gone wrong. It's important to understand your identity when trying to live right. In fact, where you are should not change who you are. Right? Where you are should not change who you are. Where are you today? You're in church. Who are you going to be tomorrow? It should be the same person you're in church that you are on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So where you are doesn't change who you are. 
And so where you, if God moved these people out of Jerusalem and Antioch into the far parts of Turkey, that did not change who they were in Jesus Christ. And so Peter, over and over again, is going to talk to them about their identity. So let's begin reading here in 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 9. Peter says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. First of all, in your outline there, we start our, our message, identity, who you are. He talks about your identity. He starts out the verse, but ye are. If you circle things in your Bible, circle those words, but you are. This is, this is a statement of fact. This is who you are. You may not feel like this sometimes, but if you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you've forsaken all else and turned to Jesus Christ, this is who you are. This is your new identity in Christ. The day I trusted Christ as my Savior in Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio, my identity changed. I was a lost sinner, and now I was a child of God. My identity changed. And so this is who you are, a statement of fact. In fact, Peter often reminds in his book of our identity. One author lists 14 different identity references in the, in the book of 1 Peter, 14 in five chapters. We won't go through all those today. We're going to stick right here in, in chapter 2. But your identity changed when you received Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. And here's those words again. But ye are washed, and ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. What a difference. This is who you were. This is who you are. You're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. Your identity changed. I heard a man preach this one time, and he made this statement to teenagers. Act like who you are, not who you were. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. You were the, this is who you were. Such were some of you. It's referencing back to the sins in like early in the chapter. You used to all do those things. That's who you were by your nature and by your choice. And now you are washed you're sanctified, you're a child of God. You don't have to be who you were. Now, if you are subject to sin in your life and you are still uh, enslaved to sin, that's your choice. That's who you were by nature before, but now you're uh, enslaved to sin by choice because you are washed, you are sanctified, and you are holy in his sight. So our identity change. Uh, Here in this verse, these verses, Peter lists uh, several aspects of our identity here. He says, first of all, you're a chosen generation. What does that mean? A chosen generation. I believe that is talking about that God has chosen to do his work through the church. Uh, we all understand the church is not the building. Some of those pictures you see in today in the, was us building this building, breaking ground, probably right where the sound booth was, right out in that area. In this area, we started to break ground uh, that day. And we built a church building. That's not the church. This is a church service. This is not, you are the church. 
And God says you are a chosen generation. God has chosen to work through the church these days. This is the church age. This is the church time period. It's our time to shine. It's our time to make a difference. And this is the church. Earlier in the Old Testament, the people of God were the the nation of Israel. But we are the people of God. He says you weren't a people in verse number 10, but now you are a people. I've called you out. I've made you a people. The church is God's people. You are a chosen generation. That's who you are in Christ. You are a royal priesthood. I like those terms together, royal priesthood. Kingly and priestly in one term. Royal priesthood. See, Israel had a priesthood. The church is a priesthood. There's a big difference. You are, you are a priest before God. You don't, we don't need someone to go to God for us, to Christ for us. We are priests in his sight. So we are a royal priesthood. That's who you are. You may not feel like it some days. Some days you may feel like the, the world's beating up on you and you're losing the battle, but remind yourself you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. This is not just positive thinking. This is not just looking in the mirror every morning and say, you're a good person. You're going to be okay. I know a lot of people do that. You have better things to say to the mirror. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. It's not your idea. This is what God says about you. God looks down. He sees your identity as a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, holy in our standing before God. We are wicked sinners, but in, our, in God's sight, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he sees us as a holy nation. That's how God sees you. That's who you are. I love this one too, a peculiar people. I stand here and look at a group of people who are a peculiar people, and I'm part of it. The idea of peculiar, we have different mindsets, different ideas of that word peculiar means. The biblical word peculiar doesn't mean that you're strange or you're weird or you're odd. The word peculiar means that you belong to somebody, a peculiar trait to somebody. That person has a peculiar uh, thing about them. That trait belongs to them. You are peculiar in the idea that you belong to God. That's the idea. You are peculiar people in that anybody else who worships anything else besides the one true living God is not, does not belong to God. You're peculiar to God. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And these are Fact after fact after fact after fact. Whether you feel it or not doesn't matter. It's by fact that you are a child of God. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. These are your identity in Jesus Christ. That's your identity, who you are. But this verse goes on. Look at the verse in verse number nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Then look at these next three words. That ye should. That's your performance. That's what you do. But ye are that ye should. Those two cannot be separated. Because of who you are, this is what you should do. There is some should do's and should don'ts in the Bible. And it's not based upon that you have to do them. It's based upon who you are. This is who you are. But ye are that ye should. It's a great, this is not a statement of fact. This is a statement of effect. The statement of fact is, this is who you are. And that should change, that has, the effect it should have on you is that you should. 
Why should you live for Jesus Christ? Because you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He's changed your life. You are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified. That's why you live for Christ. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just dead works. We've talked about it in our, in our Bible studies. Because of who you are, this is what you should do. Look what the, the Bible says here in this verse. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Understanding who you are should impact what you do. We show forth his praises. Hey, the word show forth there in, in the Greek it means the message out. It really means it's the, the word that we would use, angel. Angel is a messenger. It's, 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 right, that's, the, that's the same word. Angel out message out. You should angel out and message out the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. God's changed you. God's made you. And so the natural, natural, natural result of a child of God, when they understand their true identity, is to show forth and message out. It's not something you make yourself do. It's understanding who your identity is, but you are that you should. Show forth his praises. We're no longer in darkness. We understand. Our eyes have been opened. We understand that there is a heaven. There's an eternity. Uh, there, there is more to life than what we see. We understand that. Verse 10 tells us that we have obtained mercy. And so we're constantly messaging out the glorious, the marvelous works of Jesus Christ in your life. Where would you be without Jesus Christ? Where would you be if he had not reached down and saved your soul? You may say, I'd be, I'd be rich. I'd have this. I'd have that. I'll tell you where you'd be. You'd be on your way to eternity in hell. We message out the glorious, wonderful love of Jesus Christ and his mercy. Celebrating his praises is a natural outflow of understanding our identity. But you are that you should. So that's your performance. That's, that's what comes out, and it flows. It flows from who you are. Identity first, then performance. And this is not just in this verse. This is throughout the Bible, if you realize that, that God builds upon who we are that determines what we do. And sometimes in preaching and in our own life, we get that backwards. We just try to live the Christian life without dwelling on the fact of who we really are in Jesus Christ. And God wants to get us straight. Identity leads to performance. Identity first, who you are. Performance, what you do. But ye are that ye should. Let me show you some examples. Number three in your outline. Examples. How, how it works. How, how does this work? Let me show you. This is not just in these verses. We're going to show you a couple illustrations here. Right in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read together verse number five. I want you, as we look at this, I want you to think about this. I want you to analyze this. I want you to understand what is he saying you are and what is he saying it should, how should it affect you? Look at verse number five. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. All right, put your thinking cap on. Look at that verse. What are you, according to those verses? Do you want to answer out loud? You can. A li lively stone. You are 
a lively stone. You are part of the building. You know, it's interesting. I, I never thought about this. I read this in preparation. The author here, is, human author, is Peter. What does Peter's name mean? Stone, rock. Was that Peter's real name? No. Jesus renamed him from Simon to Peter. And so here is the man who Jesus called the stone saying, hey, I'm a stone, but you're a stone, and we're all a stone, and we're all part of the building. All right, so he says, you are a lively stone. What else in this verse does he tell us? You are a lively stone. You are built up what? A spiritual house. So this is who you are. This is your identity. You're, a, you're part of the puzzle. You're part of the building. You're part of the kingdom that God's building. Peter was a part of it, and you're part of it. Peter was a part of it thousands of years ago. You're a part of it today. But you're part of the spiritual house. And he goes also to say in this verse again, and holy priesthood. So we see who we are in this verse, our identity, lively stones, spiritual house, holy priesthood. So how should that affect us? How should the understanding that we are part of the big puzzle, we are part of the big building, we are a stone in this fortress of the kingdom of God, how should that affect our lives? Right there in the verse, look, what's he calling us to do? What's the performance he's calling us to do? Offer up spiritual sacrifices. But you are a lively stone that you should offer spiritual sacrifices. All right, see how it all connects together? What does that mean, spiritual sacrifices? Well, Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 says this, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. One of our sacrifices is praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks is a sacrifice that we should be giving to his name. Uh, but to do good, there's a sacrifice we should be giving to do good. And to communicate is a sacrifice we should be giving. Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You're a lively stone. You're a holy priesthood. You are part of the spiritual building that you should sacrifice. You should be praising. You should be thanking. You should be doing good. And you should be communicating with other people. The word communicate has the idea of partnership, fellowship, communion, helping out. It can be financial. You can communicate with someone financially. Someone has a need, you meet that. It could be uh, encouragement. You communicate those things. The Bible here is telling us, you are lively stones. You're part of the building. You're the holy priesthood. So how should that affect my life? Offer up spiritual sacrifices. How many sacrifices? We don't offer lambs anymore. Aren't you glad? You don't, you didn't, no one dragged a goat with them today to church. I'm glad bring a goat in and slit the throat and pour some blood on the altar. That'd be kind of gory and gruesome. That's how it was in the Old Testament. Christ did that for us. One sacrifice, once for all, but there's still sacrifices to be brought. This week, will you bring the sacrifice of praise and thankfulness? The, offer, the, the, pray, the, the offering of doing good and communicating with other people. Let me show you one more example. Look down at verse number 11. Look, see, now look, see what he calls you. See what, see what you are. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. That's who you are. You're a stranger. That's your identity. Strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorified God in the day of visitation. Who are you? In your outline there, you see, who am I? Well, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. That's your identity. Like it or not, this world's not your home. You're just passing through. 
That's who you are. And as you go to work tomorrow, and as you go to the, uh, to the workplace, and as you go to the store, and as you go in your neighborhood, you are a stranger and a pilgrim. How should that affect your life? Let's look. That identity brings on the performance of abstaining from fleshly lusts, maintaining a good testimony. That's what he's talking about here. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that they'll speak good of you. And doesn't it sound like uh, Matthew chapter 5, that when they see your good works, they glorify your Father which is in heaven? Why, do we why, why is our life different? Why do we have good works? It's not because we get to church and we get a list of six things we should do this week and we go out and try to do six things and people say, oh, they do those six things and I don't do those. That's not it. The idea is you understand that you are a child of God, you're a stranger and pilgrim, and because of who you are, people see a difference in your life. But you are that you should. Identity before performance. The Christian life was meant to be lived from the inside out. Years ago, there's a movie called Inside Out. I don't know much about the movie. I know it's about the inside of a girl and how it came out on the outside. I tell you this, your Christian life and what other people see ought to be a reflection and a flow from the inside out. We're not here just to renovate the outside and make everybody look the same. We're here to try to teach you to have a real relationship with God and understand who you are in Jesus Christ. And as you grasp that, it flows out of you and people see. And when they see the difference, they glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That's the inside out. What you do flows naturally from who you are. It's good for us to be reminded of our identity because sometimes we lose that. In this world gone wrong, we get so wrapped up in my identity. I'm a, I'm a worker. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I don't fit in. I don't have these things. We, our identity gets all messed up. God says it's different. He said, you, you're, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're my child. You're washed. You're and the Bible is just packed full of who you are. You're a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. That's who you are. And when you grasp who you are, it changes who you, what you do. And so I hope that this challenge from 1 Peter will be an encouragement to you as he talked to people who felt a little bit out of place in this world. And as we go into this world, that we would find our identity in God's Word. Here's a challenge for you this week. As you read your Bible, look for your identity. You'll see it. If you start looking for it, you'll start seeing it. I just told you three places in 1 Peter you start looking for it, you'll see it. God will start telling you over and over and over again who you are in his sight. Well, I don't feel that way. It doesn't matter. God says it's a matter of fact. You're my child. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. These are, these are who you are. And then once you realize who you are, focus on ways to let your identity shine out and make a difference everywhere you go. That guy has a joy. That girl has a peace. There's something about that person. It's the fruit of the Spirit coming through you as you understand who you are affecting what you do. It shows in your lifestyle. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? No one looking around.